Well, hey, Gateway, and good morning to all of you. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning, especially uh, if it's your first time. We're glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. Uh, this service is already going better than last. I almost tripped over one of these audio cords on the first uh, service. I didn't. That would have been uh, a Facebook memory for many, but uh, we're, already, we're already doing better. Hey, uh, just quickly, uh, before we get into the message this morning, I want to share some really cool news with all of you, uh, mostly because... Uh, you all are responsible for it. Now, as many of you know, uh, we partner, or we have partnered with Christian Financial Resources, uh, to or CFR, to help us uh, afford the purchase of this property and building, as well as uh, the building over in St. Albans, and most likely... Uh, we're going to be needing their help again, or we're going to be partnering with them again in the next few years as God continues to do great things here at Taze Valley. Now, as part of that partnership, uh, you might have heard Shane a few weeks ago talk about this. We have an agreement with them that if the people of Gateway uh, invest a combined total of $1 million into some sort of savings vehicle at CFR, our interest rate for the church would lower by a quarter percent. Well, earlier this month, we received a letter telling us that we have, in fact, reached that million-dollar mark. And so, uh, yeah. What's even perhaps more amazing is that over 250000 of that has been placed with them just since the beginning of March. And so... Uh, Y'all have stepped up and uh, and helped in an amazing way. This is awesome news because a quarter of a percent might not seem like it's that big of a deal, but when we're talking about the amount needed to fund these types of projects, we're saving, the the church is saving thousands of dollars in interest. And I, for one, appreciate a leadership that tries to be the best stewards of the money that you give and look for ways like this, that we can save thousands of dollars just by doing something like this. And so we all wanted to say a big old thank you to all of you who have invested at, with CFR. Uh, and if you haven't, you can always look into investing with them. And in, in that process, help fund churches across the nation where they can go into communities and plant churches and, and just reach, reach communities in new ways that they might not have been able to uh, before. Reach them for Jesus. You know, I also want to thank all of you that have partnered with us financially here at Gateway. You know, your continued amazing generosity allows us to do really great things in our community. Things like VBS and feeding the teachers at our elementary schools and reaching people really all over the state of West Virginia and even Haiti. And what's been amazing is a lot of time, a lot of churches were afraid what was going to happen during this whole COVID pandemic. And are we going to be able to keep going? And what's it going to look like financially? And somehow, amazingly, you all have given more during all of this time. And we cannot thank you enough for your generosity and your faith in us and just the part that you all are playing in reaching our community for Jesus. So thank you for all that you do to help us do what we do. All right, so we're in week four of this family life series. And thus far, we've talked about marriage and we've talked about parenting. And last week, we talked about conflict. And I don't really understand it, but y'all just keep coming back. So you must just be gluttons for punishment. I'm trying to step on your toes as much as possible and y'all keep coming back. So uh, you must want to hear it, I guess. You know, nobody's perfect. And I, I struggle with a lot of this stuff as well. 
But just remember that the things that we're talking about are coming straight from the Word of God. It's not from the Word of Brian or from the Word of Gateway. And so I need these truths just as much as you do, right? These things are stepping on my toes, even more so in some cases. The only difference might be that the Holy Spirit starts stepping on my toes about Tuesday, and I've been dealing with it ever since. So y'all can have fun this week. Nobody is perfect, And that means that we can all improve if we allow ourselves to hear the truth. Remember that our goal is to be conformed into the image of Jesus. And as imperfect people, that means that we have a lot of work to do. We just have to be willing to put in the work. And today's topic is going to touch a little bit more on why that work is so important. Today we're going to be talking about legacy. Legacy. What, now, when you heard the, hear this word legacy, you might be thinking of a line and an obituary, or maybe a, a eulogy of some sort. You, you might think that your legacy is something that you think about more at the end of your life. You know, for me, I think about when we talk about legacy, it's like you talk about legacy on Grandparents' Day, or as you are more advanced in life, you start thinking about what that, your legacy was or is. But that is not the case. It's not just at the end of our life. Friends, we're building our legacy right now. And that's something that's true of everyone. Whether you're a teenager or a young single adult or a married couple with no kids or a married couple with kids, maybe you're a couple of empty nesters or maybe you are grandparents. But the truth is that every day that you live, you are building your legacy. Now, sometimes when we think about legacy, we we can try to tie it in with a financial sense, maybe an inheritance, but that's only a small part of what our legacy is. When we talk about legacy, we're talking about what we leave behind, whether it be good or bad. What have you done with your life? What have you done with your life, your words, and your love that will leave a lasting impact on future generations? And while we would all certainly hope that is a positive impact, I think there are some of us here today that can attest that a person's legacy can also be negative. The impact they left on our lives can be negative. So have you ever thought about the legacy that you're leaving right now? Maybe you have and maybe you haven't. You know, when we're younger, we're just trying to live a day at a time. We're just trying to survive. Often we live in the now just trying to make it through another day. And financial advisors, they implore us to start thinking about the future and get our retirement plans started as early as possible. You know, you start having kids and they're like, all right, well, now they're out uh, into the world and, well, you need to start depositing into a college fund right now so that when in 18 years you can pay for their college. And the reason this happens is because objectively, these financial advisors, they know that we struggle to think of anything but the right now, but the present and our immediate future. And especially as young adults, we find ourselves often living paycheck to paycheck, not because necessarily of lower wages, but because of impulse buys and spending on the right now and thinking of only how we're living in the present. But as we get older, we're going to start to think about our legacy more and more because we start to realize that our time on, on this earth is growing shorter and shorter. And one day we won't be here anymore. And we want our life to matter for something. Isn't that what we all want? We want everything that we've done. We want all that we poured into this life to matter for something or for someone. You know, as we read in our focus time earlier, our life will pass quickly and it's merely a mist. It's merely a vapor. 
And at a certain point, we just hope that our kids or those that we have poured ourselves into will inhale enough of that vapor to pass it on to the next generation. And if only our legacy could be as easy to pass on to the next as a common cold, wouldn't that be so much easier? Our legacy should be something we're all concerned about because tomorrow is promised for no man, which means we can't afford, putting on, can't afford to put off building a legacy until we, until we start planning how we're going to write our will and start dividing up our assets. Tomorrow is promised for no man. Just like James said, it's arrogant to think that there will be a tomorrow, not only because we don't know when our time on this earth will be over, but also because we need to be building our legacy today. So what can you build and leave behind that will benefit your family after you're gone? Well, to answer that question and to guide our thoughts this morning, I want to look a little bit at the piece of the story of one of the greatest families in the Bible known as the patriarchs, which includes Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But today, we want to look at the fourth generation of the patriarchs with the story of Joseph. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can go to the end of Genesis chapter, in chapter 50, and we'll be there in just a little bit. You know, we talk about Joseph a lot because, well, his faith was pretty amazing. Joseph faced a lot of adversity in his life, yet his faith remained as strong as ever. In fact, his faith was so strong that he made it into the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. In verse 22, we read, By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Now, you might have known a lot about Joseph, but did you know that Joseph wanted his family to take special care of his bones? You know, that, that it would be such a big deal that the writer of Hebrews all that time later would mention it specifically? Furthermore, did you know that the bones of Joseph are an important topic in the Bible and in the history of the nation of Israel and an important part of Joseph's legacy overall? So important that the writer of Hebrews would make special mention of it all that time later. You know, Joseph's legacy is one of the greatest legacies in Hebrew history. With God's help and through his great faith, Joseph overcame all of the adversity to be promoted to position within the Egyptian empire where he could serve and save his, family's, his father's family one day from starvation during a time of famine. And Joseph is a hero in, in, in Hebrew history, and it was even mentioned by the first Christian martyr Stephen right before he was stoned to death. In the book of Acts chapter 7 verses 9 and 10, Stephen says, And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. And rescued him out of all of his afflictions, and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. You see here that Stephen says that God was with him. And if you know the story of Joseph, you know that God truly was with him in the good times and the bad, but also that Joseph was with God in the good times and the bad. And whether you know the story of Joseph or not, the next time that you feel like you've been slighted, even though you've been living the right way, man, God, I, I was doing the right thing. I was praying. I was reading my Bible. I was living for you. How could you let this happen to me? The next time you start feeling like that, I would encourage you to open up the book of Genesis and look at Joseph's story because Joseph was always doing the right thing, yet always seemed to find himself in another sticky situation. 
could have complained and gotten upset with God at several points along his journey, but he never did. His faith remained strong. And it's almost like instead he felt like, or he realized instead of blaming God for his circumstances, he realized that God was the only one that could save him from his circumstances. And in the end, when his brothers are forced to come to him, swallow their pride and come to him because there's a famine in the land. They have to come to their brother Joseph, the one that they tried to, they wanted to kill, the one that they sold into slavery. Well, now they have to come to Joseph. And the world would tell us, man, Joseph, you should take this opportunity. You should show them. This is you on top. You should make them just grovel and just make them, it just make them eat it right here. Get your revenge. But not Joseph. See, instead, Joseph forgave them. He had all these reasons to have it over him, to hold it over him, and make him do all these things, yet he forgave them. You want to talk about how to handle conflict in your family when you've been mistreated? Look at Joseph, because he forgave even when his brothers didn't deserve it. Check out what he told his brothers in Genesis 50:20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. See, Joseph realized that had he not gone through all the adversity, had he not gone through all the trouble, he wouldn't be where he was today. And because of that, God allowed him to help so many more people than if he had never been thrown into that pit to begin with. And so we see how Joseph handled his conflict. But what about his legacy and his bones that we talked about before. Well, let's continue on in verse 22 of chapter 50. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Joseph's life story was his legacy. His faith and the way that he lived was what made the biggest impact on future generations to the point where it's even impacting us still today. But pay attention to his final words to his family here. He says, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. And in these words, we find two critical elements of a godly legacy that each of us can leave behind as well. And the first is the promise of God's presence. We don't know what Joseph knew about the future of the Israelite people, but one thing that we're sure of is that he knew They had a God that would never leave them or forsake them, no matter what might come their way. And he knew this because he had lived it. Through every turn, through every adversity, God was still there. He had never left him. And he also knew that the Israelites wouldn't be in Egypt forever. How he knew that, we don't know, but he says, one day you're going to take me up out of here. And though the generation of Joseph and his brothers died, the next generation actually prospered greatly in the land of Egypt. You know, when you think about the Israelites in Egypt, you're like, man, that was a hard time. That was a bad thing for them. 
But before that, they actually were doing pretty well in Egypt. When we flip the page from Genesis to Exodus, we see right there in Exodus 1-7, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. See, things weren't always bad for the Israelites in Egypt. But then verse 8, right after that, then verse 8 brings the beginning of their problems. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Things were going real well for the Israelites. They they were prospering. They were multiplying. This was great. But then the influence of Joseph died off. Imagine one man having so much influence, having so much of an impact through God that he was saving his people, that people were prospering because of his influence. And then when it dies off, things take a turn. And out of fear, Pharaoh turns the Israelites into slaves. And for the next 400 years, they endured a hard life of being the main workforce for the industrial engine of the Egyptian empire. And there's a good chance that they had a, good, they had a hand in building the great pyramids of Egypt. And so life was hard, and then it got worse. But the harder life became, the more God blessed them and multiplied them. So Pharaoh got even more scared, and he doubles down, and he makes them work even harder. And he even gets to the point, he's so scared of, of them multiplying and them taking over, he starts killing their infant boys just to stop this multiplication. Let's be honest, the conditions were terrible for Israelites in Egypt. Certainly you can imagine an attitude that could develop where you would wonder, how in the world can we be God's people? How can we be the nation of God, yet be under such oppression? Where is God in the midst of all of this? But Joseph's legacy lingered among them. A legacy that said, hang on, God is with you, God will visit you, God will rescue you from this. Even though your circumstances might say differently, just hang on because he's there. And it took 400 years for God to send another great leader by the name of Moses to save them from their oppression. But Joseph's legacy during that time included a reminder of the promise of God's presence. Throughout multiple generations, Joseph's legacy was still there. You know, it would be great if we could tell our families that, you know what, life is always going to be good. You just follow Jesus. You just follow God as the best you can, and life's going to be great. You won't have any problems. You just try your hardest. I mean, how many parents wish they could save their kids from the pains of failure, pain of heartbreak and rejection? But we can't make that promise, can we? And we can't protect our kids forever. Jesus said in John 16 that we will face trouble in this world. And it's hard to tell where we're going to be as a society even in the next 50 years. I mean, will the United States still be standing as we know it? Will Christianity still be legal to practice? You know, maybe things will be similar to today. Maybe it won't look that different, but there are some scary outcomes when we think about what the future could hold. And so the question becomes, What do you want your legacy to be for your family when the hard times of this life come? What are you building right now that will carry them through the hard times that might be coming? What are the lessons that you're teaching your kids right now that they can use when trouble faces them head on? 
Are we being intentional about building our legacy now, or are we merely surviving one day to the next? Are we teaching them and modeling for them what an intentional life for Jesus should look like, or are we teaching them how to survive an overly busy life? I hope that we're building a legacy that reminds them of God's presence, that reminds them of the second part of what Jesus said in John 16. He said to take heart, for I have overcome the world. So we need to have a legacy that reminds the next generations of God's presence and through thick and thin, through the hard times and the good times. And now we get to the second part of what Joseph said, where he told them that they would carry his bones out of Egypt when they left. You know, Joseph, he was pretty powerful, second only to Pharaoh in, in the whole nation of Egypt. So he could have commanded the Egyptian servants to carry his bones out, but he didn't because he wanted his family to do it. And when he died, he was embalmed and and mummified and placed in a coffin right there in Egypt. Now, what happened to the remains of Joseph is kind of interesting because they were not immediately buried the way that his fathers were. Instead of instructing his family to take his body to the the family cave where the other remains were, his body remained there in Egypt. Why would they do that? Well, experts believe it might have been because Joseph was a national hero. Not only had he saved his own people from starvation, but he had also saved the entire Egyptian empire through his God-given gifts of wisdom and discernment. His coffin was probably revered like a national monument. It stayed there on display while it remained in Egypt. And so perhaps Joseph knew this was going to happen, but he also knew that it wasn't going to be like this forever. And although he had been greatly successful in Egypt, he had a great life, the reality was this wasn't his home. It wasn't his final resting place. And so his mummified body was to be taken up when his people left the land, to be returned to the place of his ancestors. And this desire that he had represents another critical element of a godly legacy, which was the hope of heaven. Now, obviously, the Hebrew people didn't quite have the full view of what the afterlife looked like that that you and I are blessed with on this side of the cross. But they definitely had a hope for more. They had a hope for the promised land. This was the hope that they carried with them as they endured slavery over these 400 years. And then the exodus of Egypt and the wandering in the wilderness. Joseph wanted his bones to to rest in the land of his people, and we want to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus and the family of God in a new body. This hope of heaven is a legacy that we would love to leave with our children and our grandchildren so they can pass it on to their children and their grandchildren. We want them to know that there is more to this life than just this life. We're living for eternity more than we're living for this world. You know, there are people in our family who have been gone, who have gone on to be with the Lord, and we would love to reunite with them one day. And when we move on to our eternal life in heaven, we would want the next generations to live in such a way that they could reunite with us as well. That is a legacy of hope for heaven that we want to leave. Joseph was 30 years old when he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, and he was named the second most powerful man in Egypt. He married an Egyptian woman who bore him two sons named Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, why would these boys not stay in Egypt and enjoy this amazing life that I'm sure they had, this easy life? They weren't working as slaves. 
Their dad was like the top, right? So they had a great life there. Think about how much easier life would have been for them just to stay in Egypt rather than leave with the rest of the Israelites. But they knew how much their father loved his people. That was part of his legacy. It reminds me of what the writer of Hebrews said about Moses, who also grew up in the palaces of Egypt, that he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And remember that just before Jacob, Joseph's father, had died, Joseph took his boys in there to receive a blessing from their grandfather. On that day, Jacob gave these sons of Joseph his blessing of the full inheritance, just like his own sons. And he told Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you, and I will bring you again, or God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your father. See, Joseph remembered, as part of Jacob's legacy, he remembered what he had told him that one day they would return to the land of their fathers. And so this may also explain why Joseph was adamant that it be his family and not the Egyptians that carried his body back to the land of Canaan. Maybe he wasn't just thinking about his final resting place, but instead thinking about the journey that his family would take to get him there. That he would be going with them everywhere that they went. That he would be a part of the journey with them in a sense. And, you know, maybe it's, I don't know if you've ever lost a loved one and, and you've held on to something of theirs. Maybe it's a necklace, a ring, some sort of keepsake. Be it physical or symbolic, you hang on to it as a way to remember them. Maybe you have ashes in an urn somewhere, or maybe a physical object that they gave to you. Or maybe it's not any of those at all. Maybe it's something that they always used to say, or a way of thinking, something that has been passed down that you make sure that you hold on to because you never want to forget them. You know, when it comes to Joseph's body, you know what's crazy? Is they kept Joseph's coffin for 400 years while they were in Egypt. And then they took it with them when they left. Here they are, mass exodus from Egypt, probably not a lot of time to do all, grab all these things, right? They're in this haste to leave Egypt and they grab the coffin, and now they're carrying Joseph with them. When they cross the Red Sea on dry land, here's Joseph, right? Got all these other things. We got Joseph with us all the way there. When they're wandering around for 40 years in the wilderness, guess who's with them? Joseph in his coffin, right? They're carrying, no wonder they were complaining, right? No wonder they needed more to eat because they're carrying this dead guy around with them everywhere. I mean, I surely hope the Egyptians were good at odor control and their embalming and mummification process. Can you, I can only imagine the smell that was emanating from that coffin some 400 years later. It was inconvenient. I'm sure it was heavy. I'm sure there were people like, why are we doing this still? But they did it because they were faithful to the promise they had made to Joseph. And eventually, they carried his coffin to its final resting place. If you want an indication of how long they had this coffin, how long it was, it's not until the very end of Joshua that they finally lay him to rest. Now, if you know your Old Testament, that's a lot of books later, right? That, I mean, it wasn't like 
It's eight chapters later, and they laid him to rest. No, a lot happened. Moses died in the time it took them. Moses lived a long time. All right. Joseph 24, 32, we read, As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem. And the the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance to the descendants of Joseph. You know, those bones, they served as a reminder of God's faithfulness to his people. Perhaps they served as a reminder of the great lengths they went to to get them there. And the hope that Joseph had to one day reach the promised land. Now, I don't know about you, but I want my kids and I want their kids to live with a hope that goes beyond this world. I want them to live knowing that even though life might not always go the way that they'd like it to, they still have a hope of heaven. And I want to model that for them. I want them to see what that looks like in the way that I live, in the way that I speak. I I want them to see my own hope of heaven is unaffected by the pain and disease, the brokenness and the evil of this world. Not that I don't experience pain and sadness, but that there is nothing in this world that could ever separate me from the love of Jesus and the hope of heaven that I have. I want my legacy to be that my kids would live with the same kingdom mindset that I have. And so the question this morning is, what legacy are you building right now? What legacy are you building right now today? What will you leave behind when you die? Somewhere along the way, our legacy went from building a legacy right now by pouring into our family to building our legacy later by working more and more and accumulating as much wealth as we can. Maybe it was the Industrial Revolution. Maybe it was the American Dream. But somewhere, we became convinced that being around our kids less was actually better for them. We were doing a favor for them because one day we could just leave them this huge sum of money and they wouldn't have to worry about things anymore. And I feel like this idea is especially true of dads. But I think if you polled your kids, they'd rather just have dad be present now than get a huge sum of money later when they die. Parents, we need to be present with our kids. And that means that we, when we are there physically, we're there mentally and emotionally as well. And that means we have to be off of our phones and off the TV and off off of interacting with people that aren't even in the room with us while our kids are sitting there watching and wondering if we're paying attention. And trust me, I should have James holding up a mirror for me right now. Big old mirror. Say this to yourself because you need to hear it just as much. See, when I get home from work, I get it. I want to veg out. I don't want to deal with three kids under 10. I don't want to deal with that. I don't need that crazy sometimes. But if I'm trying to build a legacy, if I'm trying to leave an impact on my kids that they will pass on to their kids, it's going to take a lot of intentionality and a lot of work. If we're going to work hard at something, let's work hard at leaving an impact that will last forever on our kids and pouring into them. Build your legacy now, not later. Stop thinking about a legacy being something that you associate with the end of your life and start thinking about or what it looks like with your kids right now. I'm sure if you ask people that are more advanced in age, I'm sure there are regrets that they didn't start building their legacy years ago instead of right in the moment. Teach them and model for them what living for Jesus looks like now so they can tackle the troubles of this world on their own later when you're not around anymore. 
Because honestly, you're building a a legacy right now, whether you like it or not. It's just a matter of whether it's a legacy that says my parents were there for me or they weren't. You know, it's interesting. First thing God did with people is he put them in a garden. A garden where you cultivate and you work hard at that. You work hard at cultivating the land. You work hard at cultivating these things. Then in Psalm 104, it talks about how God gave grass. He causes grass to, to grow for the livestock, and he gives man plants to cultivate. God created us to cultivate, to work hard on these things. What are we cultivating in our family right now? What are we working hard at right now? You know, a friend of mine said that we have been created to work We've been created to work. We've been, we've been created to cultivate. The only problem is we got confused on what we should be working at and what we should be cultivating. Somewhere along the way, we started throwing all our effort into earning more and more money and getting more and more success, and our family gets less and less of our time. So let's work on cultivating our family because the family is the thing that trumps all the things out there that takes our time away from it. Friends, what legacy are you building right now today? I hope you're leaving a legacy that will remind your family of the promise of God's presence through any situation and the hope of heaven where we can all gather together in the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And if you're not, well, today's the time to change. See, the great thing is we're all here this morning. We all woke up this morning. We're all breathing this morning, which means it's not too late to change the impact that we're having. It's not too late to turn around from the way we've been going, to repent of the ways that we've been going and change course and start living on mission for Jesus, to leave a kingdom legacy that's worth far more than silver or gold. Let's pray. Father God, I I come to you today and there's a lot of times I myself can get things mixed up that I think the things, there are things that I think are important that are so far away from what's actually important that I just, I got to come back. Father, the ways of this world say that we, that success is defined much differently than you would define success. Because before you created many of the things for us, you created the family. The family came before the church. The family came before nations and countries. And so many times we find ourselves being more passionate about our nation or our country or about even the church that we forget our family. And so, Father, this morning, I just, I pray, I lift up all of our families. And I lift up marriages and just anybody that has influence, anybody that we would start truly taking this seriously to be, look to be conformed to the image of your son Jesus that we would fight for our family that we would fight for our marriages that we would fight for the next generation that we would fight to leave a lasting impact that the next generations would know that you're always there that our circumstances don't dictate whether you're there or not that you are there in every circumstance whether we can see it or And that we would leave this lasting impact that says the hope of heaven cannot be taken away by anything of this world. 
and that we would start living for the next life more than this one. Father, I know it's hard. I I know that there's no perfect parents. There's no perfect family. And we can get discouraged sometimes when we think that there is. But Father, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fogginess out there sometimes about how to, how to do these things. But what's clear is that we are to love you and to love our neighbor above all things. And I pray that we would pour all that love, the same love, the same love that Christ has for us, the same love that you have for us. We would pour that into our family and that we would fight for them through thick and thin, through the ups and downs of this world. So Father, I thank you for the family. I thank you for our marriages. I just pray that we would come to you in the times that we struggle with them. Father, I thank you for your love, the love that sent Jesus to this world while we were still sinners, that he would go to the cross for each one of us, that we would be forgiven now and forevermore. Father, I thank you for your amazing grace that allows us to have this eternal security, this living hope that there is something beyond this world. Most of all, I thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you don't already have that relationship with Jesus, that you've not already made him the Lord and King of your life, and trying to do it on your own, and you just feel like you're always coming up short, I would encourage you to make today the day that you submit and say, I give it all up to him. I want him to be at the head of all my decisions and the head of my life. And I just want to live for him because this world keeps letting me down time and time again. But I want to plant my life on the firm foundation of Jesus. And so I'll be right down front here this morning. I'd love to talk to you about what baptism looks like. You might've walked in here dead in your sin, but you can walk out of here a new creation in Christ through the waters of baptism. Maybe you're here this morning, you just need some prayer. Whether you have a relationship with Jesus or not, there will be trouble in this world. But God knew that and he gave us this amazing gift of prayer that the creator of the universe would want a personal relationship with us so much that he would say, I want all your anxieties, I want all your cares. And he gave us this gift of prayer. So I'll be right down front this morning. If you're going through something or there's somebody in your life that's going through something, you just need some prayer right now, I'd love to pray with you. So if it's a decision you need to make or or just need some prayer, I'll be right down front. But I invite all of us to stand and sing our final song together.